Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. Like so many of the Psalms, Psalms 88 is a record of human anguish, a song of lament. It was most likely written in the time of David by a man named Haman, known for his songs and his wisdom. In the Psalms we read, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. About this psalm, master preacher Charles Spurgeon once wrote, The mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley, where we probe some of the most important, pressing ministry questions of our day. For the month of November, we're taking a close look at mental health and the local church. Well, the scriptures don't shy away from the harder truths about mental and emotional anguish. In addition to books like Job and Lamentations, the bulk of the Psalms are songs of lament. Conversely, the evangelical Protestant church has not always been comfortable with lament, and conversations about mental health are rare or non-existent. My guests today are addressing that very issue through their ministry, My Quiet Cave. Brandon Applehans is the founder and executive director of My Quiet Cave. He holds a B.A. in speech communications from Colorado State University and an MDiv from Denver Seminary. After living with bipolar for years, he wants all people to experience life in the midst of struggle. He and his family live in Denver, Colorado. Kimberly Britt Peterson is the program director of My Quiet Cave. She has received a B.A. in TV video production from Emerson College in Boston and a master's in counseling from Colorado Christian University. She loves storytelling, and as a mom with an anxiety disorder, she hopes that sharing her struggles openly will help others find freedom from the pressures of life and parenthood. Kimberly and her husband, Marcus, live in Littleton with their three young daughters. Welcome, Brandon and Kimberly. Hi. Thanks for having us. Well, thank you for being here. Last week, we heard from Tim Rehnquist from Centennial Covenant Church, and I had asked him to come on to the show because he is one of the, the few pastors that seems to be really on top of trying to integrate the mental health issue back into the local congregation. And so I wanted to, to figure out his thinking behind that. And he really kind of partnered with you guys and are, is using some of the resources that, that you guys have provided through your ministry, My Quiet Cave. You know, My Quiet Cave is sort of original. I mean, I haven't heard of a nonprofit organization doing exactly the type of work that you're doing. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about the story of My Quiet Cave and how it got started. My Quiet Cave actually started about eight and a half years ago. And I was in seminary. I sat next to this guy, Stephen, first day of class. What's your passion in ministry? 
I'd been thinking, maybe I want to help people like me. I need to help someone with bipolar disorder. And he said, I have bipolar disorder. And wow. we spent yeah. the next couple of years in seminary walking through helping him understand what was life going on and how to function and basically formed this really tight friendship. There was almost like a peer support for the two of us. After that, we started looking at what was going on in the local church and realized we need to start something and start building resources. So we tried a bunch of stuff that failed miserably, which mm -hmm. we learned a great deal. Um, I think that's just how you learn and grow. Well, and that's what innovation is about, is failing fast and then picking yourself up again. <laughs> well, we definitely failed fast. So <laughs> um, We started all sorts of things, a peer mentoring program, an online community. A lot of those things ended up failing for one reason or another, but we learned a lot, and we learned the, especially how badly the church needed support and what kind of support that we could offer that would be really, really helpful. So since then, we've designed a number of curriculum, trainings, all sorts of things, all with this idea of how do we support the local church around mental health. You know, the, your response to, you know, you, you know, when did you know that you're bipolar? I was diagnosed when I was 14 years old. Okay. And can you explain for our audience just a little bit about what that means for you? Because I know there are different types and things like that. Yeah. Bipolar disorder is a depressive and manic disorder. So you have two sides. You go low and high. And so those, most people can picture depression. It's those crippling lows. It's where the color seems to fade out of the world. There's nothing exciting, nothing good, nothing bright and shiny anymore. Everything just loses all its luster mm -hmm. and there's just nothing. It's okay. not even that it, it's hurts or it's sad. There's just nothing. The flip side of that is mania and hypomania is normally described as like CEO syndrome. Those people who are just on it all the time. They just have that edge that you could wish you could have. They have unlimited energy, this extra confidence. And for a full mania, you just bump that up even another level where you start losing touch with reality a little bit. And, and that's what I have. I have bipolar, what's called type one. That means those highs and lows mm -hmm. are really, really big. And then I cycle really fast between those highs and those lows. Not to say that one form of bipolar disorder is less or better or anything like that. They're all, they're all hard. Uh, they just manifest differently. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting to me is that a lot of Christians that were going into seminary that had mental health issues, they might have felt a bit insecure about it and thinking that they needed to change something in order to be better. But you're looking at it thinking, okay, this is the reality, so how can I help the church be better? What do you think made the difference between you and someone who might be more ashamed about their mental illness? Well, I, I was diagnosed when I was 14 years old. I found the right medications when I was 16 years old, and I became a Christian when I was 18 years old. So I never had a history with the church Yeah. from any position except I have bipolar disorder and it's fairly well managed. So, but then I started hearing things like if you had enough faith, you wouldn't have to take your meds and all of these strange things mm -hmm. from people who were in that church. And I started thinking, what would it be like to be in this place if you hadn't gone through two years of intense psychiatric work and intense psychological work, if you didn't know exactly what was going on and then suddenly said, hey, you're not being a faithful Christian if you take your meds, or how does this really response, what does it reflect about Jesus? And the answer was, off my meds, I really struggle 
to encounter anything that's real. I, I'm I'm tossed between highs and lows at whims. I, I struggle to find any sense of myself or normalcy. It's absolutely not peace, joy, and abundance like you'd see in Jesus. Yeah. But on my meds, it my brain gets back to normal and I can actually process those things. So uh, for me, it was it was really a question of how do we help other people who are in my shoes, who they're getting diagnosed, they're going through these steps, and they need support because they're in local church congregations. About 20% of people in local church congregations have mental health issues in any given year. Like, where is their support? Right. How do they actually process this really well? And that's what we wanted to help out with. Yeah, and a lot of times what ends up happening that you've seen in recent years is a where people you know, will refer to a counselor and rather than trying to, to get the church to meet people where they are, they actually refer out to a therapist to help them deal with the issues. Yeah. And that's great, right? I mean, Kimberly's a therapist. Yeah. We love good idea. Therapists are amazing. <laughs> um, but it also doesn't take away that people don't go to church for triage and therapy. People mm-hmm. go to church because this is their community and their support and their network. And this is where they find hope and healing. And that's what they need. They still need us community that's help and support and community, not just, hey, yeah. here's a referral, which in some ways, if you're in, in pastoral ministry, can say, come back when you're better because I can't handle your situation. I can't handle your stuff. And the reaction from the church really needs to be, you need a referral, you need therapy, and your stuff is welcome here too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great message for churches to be able to get so that, you know, people feel welcome and accepted as they are. So Kimberly, you joined My Quiet Cave and what drew you to the work of this organization and what what made you want to, to take part and be part of it? Well, the first thing that drew me to it was just this idea that you could combine faith and mental health. Well, I'd, I'd gotten my master's through Colorado Christian University, so I wanted to kind of integrate that. And I thought Brandon was doing awesome work in integrating that. And I also saw the need, mm-hmm. right? The need to use your faith to help make your mental health better. So, and also working with Brandon was really amazing. And I saw that he had big ideas for things and I wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. My husband's a therapist too. So he's in this world as well. And he's very passionate about helping the local church get the resources they need to be able to do as much as they can to um, provide the scaffolding for people to feel supported in the local church Mm -hmm. and then use counselors when they're necessary because sometimes they are. So there are three parts to My Quiet Cave, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to be education for those struggling with mental illnesses or issues, um, small group support, and then education for church leaders. Can we describe, can you describe some of those for us? Yeah, we don't do a lot of resourcing for individuals with mental health issues, just because that education would be so long. And there's there's actually a lot of information online, especially through places like NAMI, about what is your diagnosis and what does it mean? Mm-hmm. What we do do a lot of is much more support on an education level for clergy. Mm-hmm. And that's because we want every church to be a safe place and we know that starts from the top down so we do educational events uh, we put up promotional and educational materials for pastors and faith leaders and all of those are speaking in one voice like this is how you do this and this is what's going on and they speak to what are different disorders how do you work with that and they also speak to how do you break stigma how do you actually build a culture where it's safe to talk about mental health in your church 
for individuals, we don't do a whole lot, but what we do do, there's like personal wellness plans on our website. Mm -hmm. So if you're ever having a question, like how do I manage my mental health? Those are all free resources we just make available. We just want anybody to have them. So you can just go to our website, go to the resources page, and just download all you want there. So what is the Overcome group study then? The Overcome is a group that we do for people in churches and their families. Okay. So we've got this educational piece for pastors and then this grassroots piece from the bottom where we take a peer and a professional, so someone with mental health issues and a professional mental health care worker, put them together to lead a group about mental health issues for people with mental health issues and their families, where not only can you walk through and learn tangible tools and skills and learn about mental health a little bit, but then you can also tell your story and learn what your story has in common with other people and learn that you're not alone and actually experience what it is to be loved and, and know you have value and worth in the midst of your mental health struggle. Great. Well, one of the things that we have heard about a lot working with young adults and trying to figure out how to engage young adults is the lack of transparency that people feel when they go to church. So they will go to church and it feels like everyone has a mask on, everything, everyone has their act together, and I don't have any problems. And, you know, I remember before coming to, to Christianity, you know, I was just trying to get sober um, I was 21, trying to get sober, trying to get my life back devoted to Jesus. And I waited on this group of seminary students one night, and I was listening to their conversation. And I thought, dear God, I will never be like them. <laughs> Here were these seminary students, and I could tell by the quality of their conversation and the things that they talked about, that they'd never gone through a broken home, they'd never had any kind of struggles with addiction. They had never, you know, had to pay for their own way through college and felt the intense loneliness that I felt because of my family of origin. But I just felt like I will never be like them. And that night I was really tempted to just walk away from the Christian faith because there was no way that I was possibly going to be able to to measure up to what I thought God wanted me to be. And that night I really felt God impress upon me that no you're never going to be like them, you know, but you'll be able to relate to a lot of people who are, who are like you. One of the things that grieves me most when you go to church, especially, you know, maybe suburban churches or wealthier churches is you do walk in and everyone seems to have everything all together and it can be very disheartening. And so to be able to give a space for people to be honest about their struggles without judgment and without someone thinking that they're weak or that they're, they don't have enough faith, you know, is a really important part of supporting people in the ministry. It is. And, you know, you had asked me, Haley, that question about what drew me to my quiet cave. Mm -hmm. And that's a big piece of it. Because growing up, I was the same way. Um, I never felt like a them. I never felt like I really belonged in my church because I had, you know, I had all kinds of struggles. Right. And everybody seemed to have it all together. They seemed so perfect. And even going, you know, to a, a Christian university for a counseling program, sometimes I just felt very much like an outsider. But that's what I love so much about My Quiet Cave is just what I love about what My Quiet Cave does. And they do a really great job of creating that space where you can be vulnerable. Yeah, and you can be who you are and be open about it because that gives freedom to other people to share their story as well. Yeah, you know, and I wonder how many people are out there feeling like we used to feel. I mean, I have this image in my head I've never forgotten from when I was maybe 12. And it was, you know, I have this image of me sitting outside of this, this beautiful house and inside were 
was this warmth and parties and people loving and one another and eating and no matter how hard I knocked on the window for someone to let me in I couldn't get in I was left out in the cold and that's how I felt growing up because I just didn't feel like the church had room for my issues and you know mental health issues had been so stigmatized so I was wondering why do you think that that mental health illnesses and mental health in general is such a stigmatized topic you know both in the broader culture and then within the local church. Why do you think we have such an issue with it? I just had this talk with Michael Cusick last week, <laughs> and it was just fantastic, or a couple of weeks ago. I don't know. We had a kid six months ago. I have no idea what time <laughs> period it was like. Anyway, um, and what we talked about a lot was Michael and I both came through worlds where you know we were processing addictions and issues, and for some reason it was more okay to talk about addiction than it was about mental health. And it was because there was some semblance of control. You know, you have a sober date. You can celebrate your sober date. You have some sense of control of, like, I control this thing. But, like, I have a neurological issue Mm -hmm. that I've had since birth. I don't get a choice in that. It just is. You know, some people are six foot. Some people are five foot. I happen to be whatever I am plus bipolar disorder, right? It's just how I was made. And for, for us to say, I have this disease that you can't see, that is crippling at times, that has really, really nasty, nasty effects that I'm not proud of because I don't like who I am when I'm acting out of that space. There's not a whole lot that's really great about that that we want to celebrate and say, Mm -hmm. yes, this is awesome. And there's also an expectation, just in general in society, that you're good unless there's a problem. And I happen to have a mental health issue that's always a problem. And even if it's managed, there are still days where I get sick and my meds don't work as well. And, you know, what for the average person might be, I'm just going to have a bad day at work. Then I'm going to go home. I'm going to sleep. You know, I'm going to go to sleep at 7, sleep for 12 hours, see if I can sleep it off, be to work the next day. And instead, for three days, my mind is just not where it needs to be. That's not something that's really enjoyable or you can be proud about. That's not something that you want to, you know, brag to people about. If anything, if you're in a job, you can really think, man, this could really compromise where I'm at. Right. This could compromise my family. This could compromise my work. This could compromise my career. And I just want to be like everybody else. Just like you were talking about at church. Like, they're all so perfect and shiny. Why mm-hmm. can't I be like those people? And the answer is, like, there's 20% of people in an average year dealing with this stuff. It's not like we're alone. There's 3% of the population or so, it's like 2.8, that's dealing with bipolar disorder in any given year, and about 4.5% that are dealing with major mental health issues. But we just kind of write that off because we just assume that if you're doing well, you're going to be functional. And you're going to be functional all the time, and it's always going to be pretty, and we just assume you to be at your best. That's just not the case with mental health. Right. Just not. Right. You know, I was just, as you were talking, I was thinking about a friend of mine who um, was in a car accident and she was left a quadriplegic. And I would never in a million years say, oh, you know, you don't have enough faith, so that's why you can't walk. But we're so tempted to do that with issues related to mental health. If we've accepted Jesus, then we should be in perfect mental health. But that's not the case. Well, but, at least we're in perfect mental health, right? <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that we can pass judgment. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. We do that all the time. Yeah. Um, 
Well, yeah, mental mental health issues are really the only illnesses we blame the victim for, right? Or yeah. the person for. Mm-hmm. And I think you said it right, Brandon. I mean, you can't see it, so it's harder. But a few hundred years ago, you couldn't see other illnesses either. Right. And we did the same thing, right? Our people back then did the same thing. Blame yeah. the people for those illnesses. You couldn't see them. Um, mm-hmm. So yes. I think so that's something that's changing. I hope it's I changing. hope it is changing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm wondering, how have pastors and congregations responded to your work and has there been a change over time on I would just love to hear a little bit about how pastors are responding well we've done this for um, you know eight years now and the change has been really remarkable because for seven years it was like pushing a giant rock up a hill Mm -hmm. we'd we'd go contact the church and maybe one in ten would be like this is a great idea let's try this and it may have been a whole lot less than one in 10. I, I don't want to see the numbers on how many churches I contacted over those years. I really don't. Um, but a few of them said, this is really important. Let's take this on and let's see what happens. And we've had a number of churches in town that did that years and years ago that have done just amazing work. I mean, the studios in Aurora and Colorado Community Church in Aurora has had hundreds of people go through Overcome and a long-term group we developed called Cave Groups and seen just dramatic life change because they were one of those churches that took it on early and and we've worked really, really hard to support and encourage them and they've just done amazing work. On the flip side, for a lot of those years, it just wasn't a priority in the church. There's so many priorities. There's, you know, missions and advancing the gospel and all these other things. A lot of the time mental health was kind of on the back burner, but that's really started to change in the last 12 to 18 months. It started to change. That's pretty soon. That's a like almost like a U-turn. Yeah, it has been. I mean, things started changing a little bit when Matthew Warren died by suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, but then things really accelerated recently. And I don't know if it was because Denver's had so many shootings. The suicide rate has just continued to rise and really started to become right. more unmanageable. The rates of teen suicide especially have risen pretty dramatically in the last year or two. But then you also see this church understanding that this is our problem now. Like this is not something that's out there that we might be able to help with. Like this is a pressing issue that we have to deal with is really what we've seen. So we've seen a lot of interest in Mike White Cave and our work because we want to see, I mean, our whole job is to help churches work with mental illnesses better. It's not like we have work and then the church, you know, wants to somehow grab that. Our whole job is to make churches work better with this stuff and to help them and to resource them and to equip them and build out um, volunteers to manage this stuff. And we've seen so much interest in the last 18 months. How many inquiries are you getting now, Kimberly, compared to 12 months ago? Oh, used to it was weekly, maybe a few weekly. Now it's multiples a day, you know, maybe 10 a day. People from all over the U.S., which is really cool. Wow, that's really awesome. I think think the fact that it's coming from all over the U.S., underscores the fact that this is not just a Denver area, although we are sort of like the center for a lot of shootings and a lot of threats. I mean, my kids were out of school two times last year because of uh, gun fears about various issues. So yeah, Denver, and then the suicide rate is really high here in Denver, especially I think they just released like one person in Arapahoe High School committed suicide last week um, just recently, and then it's been their ninth in a very short period of time. There have just been so many different issues that that we're struggling with, and I know down in Colorado Springs they're dealing with a lot of uh, suicide 
with the military bases there. So there, you know, I know some of the leaders of the churches there have been trying to really proactively um, start talking to, to kids about suicide prevention. And so it's a really big issue, but it's not just here, it's across the nation. And I've been pretty interested in some of the things that might be causing that. I think that a lot of a lot of it has to do with technology and how disconnected that we feel from other people. Even though we're connected constantly with our devices, we feel really disconnected. And that could probably just be one reason. But yeah, I would definitely say that, you know, we've seen increases across the country, not just here in the Denver metro. In our last few minutes here, I would love for you to like provide some advice you have for churches that may be interested in the area of mental health or if they want to establish a ministry for for people who struggle with issues related to mental health? I would say a couple things. The first thing is you can never speak too loudly about mental health. You're never going to put ideas in people's heads. You're never going to you know, do something terribly wrong that causes someone to commit suicide as a general rule of thumb. With that, there's some really, really great guidelines that they've come up with on how to talk about suicide, how to talk about mental health. There's some also amazing resources on our website. So there's like a Creating Thriving Community page that is just a super helpful guide to help your church work with mental health issues. There's also guides about mental health, a mental health 101 guide that tells you Here's the major mental health struggles. Here's the ministries working in these areas. Here's all the resources and tools you need to at least get your feet on the ground and figure out what you need to do. And you can always contact Mike Quiet Cave. Our job is to support mm-hmm. you in church and, and make all this happen. And you can find our contact on our website, mikequietcave.org. Yeah, that was my next question is, how can people contact you? Yeah, yeah, it's right there on the website. You can also even email Kimberly and me. It's just Kimberly or Brandon at mikequietcave.org. And you can find all our information on our website. Okay, great. Well, thank you both so much for being here because it's so important, especially as we go into the holidays, which we know are really difficult periods of time for people. Well, thank you so much for having us this week. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can visit us online anytime at www.christiancurious.org. That's www.christiancurious.org. And I love to hear from listeners. Email me at drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org. Stay curious about your Christian faith. <laughs>